Welcome to 45 Forward, the beginning of the rest of your life. Each week, host Ron Roel and his guests discuss topics of interest to many listeners in their 40s and beyond, including retirement, caring for aging parents, health, lifestyle, and more. It's time to think ahead to the next half of your life, and we'll help you plan it with ease. Now, here is Ron Roel. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of 45 Forward, where our mission is to help you, our listeners, from Los Angeles to Long Island, age successfully, making your second half of life even better than the first. About a decade ago, Michael Pottinger and his sister, Nicole, decided to teach their 85-year-old grandmother how to use an iPad. Not only did their grand learn how, but she is still an active iPad user and loves seeing her grand and great-grandchildren on FaceTime. Inspired by great Graham the Great, Michael and Nicole founded Generation Connect, a cutting-edge firm that integrates healthcare with technology to help people with dementia, their families, and their caregiving team through digital therapeutics, the use of technology as a tool to implement effective non-pharmacological therapy treatments. In today's episode, as part of National Family Caregivers Month, as well as National Alzheimer's Awareness Month, we talk with Michael and Robin Lombardo, Generation Connect's Director of Business Development, about their commitment to senior care and to developing new tools for the caregiving community. Michael has spent most of his career working in technology consultant, and today he continues to work closely with seniors, their families, and care organizations to better understand how technology can help support care teams. Robin, a geriatric and dementia specialist, is a veteran of the senior care field, serving in leadership positions in various healthcare settings and at nationally recognized nonprofits for people with Alzheimer's disease and other dementias. Having exclusively worked with older adults, it is her passion to foster joy in their lives. Together, Michael and Robin will explain how Generation Connect provides a system of mobile apps, tablets, digital engagement, and reporting features to help home care providers improve the well-being and enhance caregiving relationships through personalized therapeutic routines and rituals. And while they believe that technology can greatly enhance the caregiving experience, technologists too have much to learn from the caregiving community. And so, research remains a central component to Generation Connect's mission, and Michael and Robin will describe their ongoing research and key findings from studies around the country, and their views on how technology can profoundly affect the future of healthcare. So now, let's meet today's guests, Michael Pottinger, and, and Robin Lombardo. Michael and Robin, welcome to the show. Hey, Ron. Thanks for having us. Oh, thank you so much, Ron. This is really ple- an honor. It's a pleasure, guys. Pleasure. So I've, I've heard a couple of your presentations before, so I can tell our audience that you're in for a treat. They're going to really learn a lot about technology and healthcare. Um, and as I mentioned before, I'm particularly gratified that this is during National Family Caregivers uh, Month. Um, so before we dive into digital therapeutics, Michael, why don't I start with you and just give, dive a little bit more into the, the origin of, of Generation Connect. And I know you started with your sister, but just, you know, how you did it and, you know, why you uh, decided to do it. It's been uh, a very long and unconventional road as entrepreneurship often is. Um, mm-hmm. I think the, the origin really kind of dates back to... Um, You know, early in my career, I worked for technology startups and had a lot of experience um, working with certain business sectors where a lot of the 
front end users didn't have a ton of uh, previous experience using technology, and we were implementing systems and solutions that kind of uh, took a lot of manual processes and made them web-based processes and uh, business culture change. But in doing that, I was spending a lot of time on the road. Uh-huh. Uh, I would say there was one week where or there was one year where I think I had over a hundred flights. It was just kind of wow. uh, living out of your suitcase. Um, and, you know, I had previously been pretty close with my grandparents, uh, but didn't stay in touch with them as much as I was in touch with, you know, my younger family members, we were texting, we were FaceTiming, um, you know, occasionally I would still call my grandparents, but I felt like the, um, the fact that they didn't use technology really caused a little bit of a disconnect. Mm-hmm. And that caused me to kind of dig into the digital divide a little bit in a little bit more detail. And we had that experience that uh, you referenced in the opener about teaching my grandmother, who was very against the idea of using technology. In fact, when I first asked her if she would uh, learn to use an iPad to stay in touch with me, she told me, no way, like I'm not doing it. <laughs> uh, but, you know, over time, she became a little bit more open to the idea and it really transformed her life. And that kind of led us to start Generation Connect really just with a very broad goal initially of mm-hmm. how can we leverage technology to serve older adults like my, my grandmother. And that started with uh, you know, bridging the, the digital divide and socialization. And you know, it's evolved from there to some of the digital therapeutic stuff we're working on today. Right. Great. And Robin, so how did you connect with Michael? Well, um, I was working for a company called Music and Memory. Um, I've done a couple of presentations on Long Island about that, but basically mm-hmm. it's the use of personalized music to enhance the lives of persons with dementia. And um, I met the Generation Connect team when they came to, you know, try to uh, work with us in terms of using tablets and bringing it sort of like to a new level. Uh, they were received a grant, I think actually two grants, and were able to utilize their early system, I call it the early platform, mm-hmm. in the nursing homes and assisted livings with really wonderful results, especially with mood management. So, um, I what I saw, having been in the field for well over 30 years in terms of, you mm-hmm. know, kinds of um, levels of care and dementia, right. I actually saw this as such a gift care is not digitally innovative it really isn't you know you have the clinical end on one side you have the tech end on the other and never tell it to meet and i saw this as such a way to have sort of like have your cake and eat it too mm-hmm. so a situation where you can really see the usage enhance workflows and you know help the caregiver who really is often the person who is not really taken into consideration when it comes to innovation right so right. it was yeah. i i saw it as a real solve Right. That's great. And That's so great. we kept in touch ever since. And here mm-hmm. we are. Here I am. There you are. Right? Yeah. <laughs> it's great. Well, I, you know, so I, I like the name Generation Connect because it's, it's implicit that you're connecting generations. And I think that's a key issue. Uh, I've done a lot of work in, and continue to be involved with family caregiving. And I think that that's clearly you're connecting generations. And I think that also, you know, there is uh, this notion that there is, you know, a younger generation that is technologically adept and an older one that is not so much. Whereas I think, um, so we, we are closing that gap just demographically as people like me, aging baby boomers, 
are already in the, the, the digital sphere. Um, but I think that what you're doing is really is going to continue because um, it, it, no matter what generation you're in, um, there's so much technology and there's so, so much learning all the time you need to do that even when you're, you know, basically technically, you know, competent, there's a lot more to learn, as I know, you know, and and so even among baby boomers and people younger, most of them understand a some certain amount of technology, but just a lot of us learn just well, we basically just have to learn. That's it, you know. And so, so your you know your function is not only teaching how to use technology, but it's educational in nature. So, so let's talk a little bit more now about digital therapeutics. Um, so guys, how do you, how do you define it? Just quickly give us a quick overview of the field and then we'll, we'll, we'll dive in more in some of the specifics, but Michael, start with you, with the, you know, how do you, how do you look at this field? Yeah, I think it's really important to um, set some parameters around digital therapeutics because it's something that's very new mm-hmm. and there's a lot of health and wellness technology applications that are on the market. And digital therapeutics is a really specific subset, and it's defined by a few criteria. A few criteria. Okay. Kind of at the at the base level, this is software, high quality software that's used to prevent, manage, or treat a medical disorder. Mm-hmm. But a key distinction is that it's evidence based. It means it's rooted in high quality peer reviewed research. Mm-hmm. So that's really, I think, the, the, the foundation of digital therapeutics. One, software. Two, intended to prevent, manage, or treat a medical disorder. And three, it's evidence-based. So it's rooted in research. Right, right. Yeah, I think that, that third element is really key because, you know, certainly there's a lot of anecdotal evidence, you know, a lot of stories. Um, and that's that's nice. That's good. That's that's the start. But I think that um, in terms of moving the ball down the field, so to speak, it's really important that that you you've taken that road of you know let's let, let's produce some some good research to back this up. Um, and, and I know Robin, you you so you as you started to say before you um, so you began with music and memory. So you started on you know that I guess the. the as Mike was saying, the, the software and, and hardware of the early phase of, you know, digital music players, right? That's, mm-hmm, that was your correct. beginning. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Right. And there were some phenomenal studies back then that we reference in because, um, you know, it does change the biochemistry of the brain. We know for a fact that you new know, connections can begin over damaged areas when personalized music, you know, is there. Um, and, and, and the two key ingredients obviously are number one, that it is personalized, it's individualized, right. it's not just right. generic. And number two, it's the right thing at the right time. Mm-hmm. And I've noticed that since I've joined Generation Connect and a lot of the research we're doing, it's the right music at the right time. It's the right picture at the right time it's the right, right video at the right time it's talking to the brain neurons and the chemistry in the brain right. and knowing right. that we can create those new connections it's just to me it's phenomenal we used to think at one time that the brain was hardwired and it could change and now we know up until time of death the brain can create new connections imagine that right right, right. it's a great method of support what we're providing yeah, yeah. and michael you've talked before about you know some of your pilot studies too dealing with computers and tablets um, perhaps you could tell a little bit about that. 
Yeah, and I'll just, I want to circle back to the music just mm-hmm. briefly. Okay. Um, this is kind of a natural starting point when you think of digital therapeutics for people with dementia. Um, one thing that I would recommend to the listeners if they're really interested in music as a non-drug um, intervention mm-hmm. to help treat symptoms of dementia is the um, documentary Alive Inside. It's on Netflix, uh, Amazon Mu- or Amazon uh, TV. I think and there's a couple different sources where you can watch the documentary. It's a really powerful documentary. But the other thing with music as an intervention is it has the most robust evidence base. I mean, not only uh, research that shows benefits on a clinical level, less anxiety, less uh, agitation, less aggression, but there's also physiological Mm -hmm. uh, research being done. As recently as like a few weeks ago, um, there was a study released by the uh, University of Toronto that was looking at people with dementia, uh, looking at their brains under fMRI when they were listening to familiar music versus when they were listening to music of a similar style, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't familiar to them. And what they were able to show through looking at the brain while the music was playing is that there were areas of the brain activated during familiar music that weren't active during uh, new music that are responsible for what Robin described, neuroplasticity, the ability to change the brain in ways that um, help them to maintain functional independence uh, in their lives. So just really cool, strong evidence in support of music as an intervention. And to get back to your original question, Mm -hmm. our team was looking at the tablet as this platform to deliver kind of a wide variety of different non-drug therapeutic interventions. I think as a lot of people who have a loved one that's living with memory loss, which, uh, you know, it's impacted me personally. A lot of people on our team have personal experiences with it. You know that the pharmaceutical options are pretty limited. Uh, There aren't any FDA-approved drugs that have shown uh, efficacy beyond six months to a year. And this is a disease that people are typically living with anywhere from four to 12 years or longer. Mm-hmm. So there's a, there's a big need for treatment. And when you look at the, the existing research base, and that was kind of our starting point, we, we saw music as effective. Right. But then some of the other uh, tools that are effective at treating dementia-related symptoms have to do with reminiscing, mm-hmm. have to do with socializing and maintaining social connections with people you love. And having to pursue uh, pursuits of purpose, what we call, you know, whether that's connected to spirituality or connected to family, uh, things that provide you purpose in life. And we really just saw the tablet platform as a, a wonderfully versatile tool to um, initiate mm-hmm. lots of these different evidence-based treatment approaches uh, uh, through the vehicle of the tablet uh, and caregiver relationships. Uh-huh. So that was kind of our starting point of uh, really wanting to kind of dig into this field and build some software specific to this tablet platform instead of just uh, the existing work that was done mainly on music players. 
Right, right. Yeah, so it's an interesting integration of technology, um, and we'll get more into this as we go on. But, I mean, just, just the notion, too, about um, I think you've mentioned before that the use of this stuff, you know, it's important not just for the care recipient, but the caregiver in terms of the relationship between the two and that some of this, um, uh, some of these devices you're developing and software developing, you know, it really starts with the caregiver even before the care, well, not before, but at the same time as a care recipient, right? Yeah, the, I mean, the main uh, purpose of that is that the people oftentimes one of the earliest uh, symptoms of dementia is you lose the ability to self-initiate. Right. And the caregiver can really be that steward that helps to incorporate these interventions into the day-to-day. Right, right. And, and I also think, too, it's in real time. So it happens instantly. So they don't have to wait for it. The tool is available to them when they need it at the time. Right. They need it. And with dementia, things happen so spontaneously. So it's really, that's also a huge benefit. Right, right. So um, we're going to, I think, as we're going to shift after the break, we're going to take a break in a, in a, in a few seconds here. Um, but uh, when we come back, um, we're going to talk a little bit more specifically about, you know, some of, of, of your platforms so that people get an idea. Fortunately, we, this is a radio program. We can't show it to them yet, but, but they, can, they can see it on your website. So, um, so we're going to basically, uh, we'll be back shortly, folks. We're going to take a, a brief uh, pause here. Uh, but we'll be coming back uh, much more uh, with Michael Pottinger and Robin Lombardo of Generation Connect. So don't go away. Much more to come. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. A brave heart is anyone with the courage to be of service to others. If you have that courage, then Bravehearts Radio with Brian Reinbold is for you. Even if you aren't yet, you'll want to still tune in to get inspired, create your own story to share, and change your life for the better. Listen to the stories of service and courage shared by amazing guests and your input too. Listen for Bravehearts Radio Mondays at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Remember, doing good anywhere does good everywhere. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to 45 Forward. To reach Ron Rowell or his guest on the program, please send an email to ron.roel at gmail.com. That's ron.roel at gmail.com. Now back to 45 Forward. Welcome back to 45 Forward, folks, where we're talking today with Michael Pottinger and Robin Lombardo of Generation Connect about their innovative approaches to using digital therapeutics to help care for people with Alzheimer's. 
Now, before we continue with our conversation with Michael and Robin, I wanted to mention that you can find out much more about them and, and their company and their, their, their work by going to their website, which is wearegenerationconnect.com or my website, robotresources.com, and clicking on the 45 Forward tab where you can learn more about them, but also watch two interesting videos about Generation Connect and Dementia Care. So, um, so now back to our conversation. Uh, as I mentioned before the break, I wanted to just uh, talk about some specifics, give you an opportunity to explain a little bit about your particular platform, uh, Michael, about, you know, a bit about how it works, how the app works, how it connects with tablets and so forth. Um, and again, people can go to the, your website if they want to see it, actually, and visualize it, but at least we'll give them an initial sense of how this works. Sure. Um with our solution, uh, Robin mentioned some of our roots and uh, working with nursing homes. And we originally started deploying tablets for evidence-based interventions in a variety of care settings. But in 2020, we got some funding through the National Institute of Health mm-hmm. to really focus on the home care segment and leverage the platform as a tool to enhance collaboration between family members, formal caregivers, and the case management teams that are overseeing the care for, uh, for people that are receiving home care services. So the way that our app works um, for those home care teams is that family members and loved ones of a person living with dementia that's receiving home care services, they're invited to download an app. And that app is available on uh, Apple phones and Android phones. And when you download the app, it asks you a few questions about how are you related to the person? uh, How close do you live to them? Those types of just basic uh, relationship facts. And then based on your answers, it's going to encourage you to share photos or stories or topics that might help the formal caregivers engage the, your loved one that's living with dementia. So all of the information from family members gets, uh, it syncs to a tablet that's stationed in the home. So when care, formal caregivers are in the home of the person receiving care services, in addition to the routines to help the person with meals and bathing and different activities of daily living, they're also getting prompts to, hey, show Mrs. Smith the photos from her grandson or play Mrs. Smith's relaxation playlist after lunch uh, before she goes down for her nap in the evening. You know, these types of personally meaningful uh, behavioral routines that can help to ease symptoms. And then all that information is shared with a case manager that helps kind of oversee and adjust uh, the care plan and the social engagement uh, plan accordingly. So that's kind of a right. high-level overview of right. what we're right. doing. Yeah. Did you want to add anything, Robin? I had a couple of comments, but uh, if you want to jump in. Yeah, no, I just think it's, I keep going back to the caregiver. Um, You know, my passion, of course, is the person living with dementia. Mm -hmm. When you have that caregiver who needs this instantly, it's like I said, it's readily available. But it's very, um, 
it's very person-centered. And so that allows the caregiver to really create and curate what's necessary for them. But in addition to that, it also creates this trust that Michael was talking about earlier between the caregiver and the person with dementia. And it creates a cultural competence of sorts, which I think is really crucial to the success of our program. Because, you know, here you have a situation where the person gets to really understand that person with dementia. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think uh, one of the things that has impressed me about this is that, you know, so a lot of the things that you're talking about are, are, are you know are known to you know, especially dementia caregivers, but sort of in a in a very fragmented way, you know. So you, you know you know that music is helpful. Um, you know that um, pictures, you know photos, and and that level of emotional comfort is important to relating to the the person with dementia. But it, it's it's not shared in a systematic way that's available and. And as you said, Robin, available in real time to all the people caregiving, the, the professionals and the family. And that's the sort of thing I think that's really valuable is that it's there, um, you know, in a, in a way that's uh, available to everybody. And so you don't, you know, like like one family, you know, have a situation where one family member knows the music, but another family doesn't, you know, somebody, you know, is there, somebody is away. Um, so it, it creates a real shared, you know, support system, and, and and as you said, you're you're connecting the dots between the care recipient and the caregivers at a both a family and a professional level, and I think that's really helpful to people. And it, you know, as you guys know, especially you, Robin, having dealt with the Alzheimer's patients, this is the most challenging form of care, right? I mean, you're dealing with your loved one who is slipping away. And um, you know, so there's a there's a lot of, of emotional sense of loss, and and this you know, so the level of support that people need is really uh, is really uh, heavy, substantial. Um, and I think that this you know this is a, a way to do it, you know. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you, Ron, because, you know, um, I've been blessed my career to have worked with almost every major disability group there is. And I'm share with you, ALS was probably one of the most difficult and nothing compares with working with individuals that have dementia, you know, especially when known even beyond Alzheimer's, you know, that Lewy body dimension, that frontal temporal is, is very, very challenging. So to be able to give this to the caregivers to me is like, you know, priceless. Yeah. And you've mentioned me before, Michael, and you have a great story about um, St. Patrick's Day. I think it's a, that really Love relates. That, story. <laughs> that relates to, again, sort of the information sharing among all the people in the caregiving team, sometimes needing to um, understand cultural barriers. So, so tell, repeat that story a little bit for our audience. Sure. Yeah. And I think that's part of what we're really humble in developing the technology in knowing that there are limitations of what the technology can do and what people need to do. And I think Robin did a really great job of just explaining about uh, this technology is really designed to help caregivers earn and build trust. And this idea of helping bridge cultural barriers is, is a really key component to how we're, we're building out the solution. And the example that I've mentioned in the past is we were working with a home care team where the client receiving services was an Irishman uh, that both of his parents were immigrants and he, he had a very strong uh, 
connection to Irish culture and St. Patrick's Day. And the caregiver that was involved in um, helping him with his activities of daily living and day to day, she was uh, an immigrant from Africa. So there was, she had very little knowledge of St. Patrick's Day. And as part of the engagement routine that was integrated through our app, uh, one of the activities that they did was pull up a video about the history of St. Patrick's Day and the importance of that culturally. And that was an experience that they got to share together and that was really enjoyable. So that was just kind of a, a great example of how the right content at the right time can help to not only with engagement, not only with uh, you know reducing some of these troubling symptoms, but that social trust-building component between the person that's providing care and the person that's receiving care that becomes really critically important in dementia. Right, yeah. And I know that, you know, so you guys, uh, you know, you're very uh, attuned to the kind of content that is helpful to dementia patients. And I know that you've worked with actually a, a, a person that I've had on the show previously, I think on the June 28th show, Judy Cornish, um, who talks, who has a very interesting book called, um, I think it's uh, Dementia with Dignity. I think that's the name of her title. Uh, but you're also focused on really, uh, so you focus on the caregiver, but also the caregiving uh, connection with um, the person with, with dementia and what how they respond to things to what, you know, so you talked about pictures um, and, uh, you know, photos and music, but sort of uh, things that, that, that really deal with their, um, you know, emotional, intuitive uh, brain that still is there, their experiential brain. Uh, you've talked about this, Michael, too, that so they're, they're losing their executive functions, but they still have this capacity. So, yeah, talk a bit, a bit more about that, if you would. Yeah, I think for all of us, there's uh, aspects of our self-identity that are really uh, foundational mm-hmm. and that are so ingrained cognitively that they happen intuitively. And, you know, one of the things that comes to mind is just like the, the love between a parent and a child. It's intuitive, right? You're not thinking about going and giving your daughter a big hug when you see her after you haven't seen her for a while. And like, it's just oftentimes there are certain uh, relationship dynamics or there are certain uh, things in our life that are so much a part of who we are that we don't have to really, uh, we don't need a lot of conscious thought mm-hmm. to, tap, to, yeah, to tap into to those skills. And those are the skills that you really, that can really benefit people living with uh, cognitive impairment to lean into those things that come naturally and that are intuitive. And really, we're just looking at our platform as a way of helping caregivers identify what are those areas of strength, then get really intentional about creating routines that include those areas of strength. And ultimately what happens is those routines turn into rituals where the experience of going through certain acts, whether that's a FaceTime call with your daughter or whether that's a walk through the woods, those acts provide therapeutic benefits. So right. that's, that's really kind of the essence of what we're trying to do. Right. Right. So um, you basically, I'm sorry, but 
Go ahead, basically, sir. you basically want to touch base with what's the residual function. You want to touch base with, base with what's there. You know, what's there that works? What's there that brings joy? It brings happiness. I mean, I, you know, I have a situation where the caregiver comes out of the room and says, oh, my gosh, you're not going to believe what I just did with Mrs. Smith. You know, and she puts her head on bed at night knowing that she made a difference in that person's life. That's kind of what we're doing because it's ingrained in the person with dementia. It's ingrained in their brain. And that's sort of like, you know, when they say you never forget how to ride a bike. So that's always there. So you can, they can pull from it. We're helping them pull from those memories, those enhanced memories and create moments of joy. Right, right. Now, I just wanted to mention before we go uh, 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 more to, into the, uh, the devices themselves. So right now, just to be clear for our audience, because I don't want you guys to get bombarded with individual requests <laughs> for this app, <laughs> which is very, it's, it's very uh, enticing and very, you know, so there's a lot of promise. But so right now, though, uh, you're distributing it through um, uh, facilities, though, right? You're not, it's not, it's not, available sort of just to go online and, and buy it, right? Yeah, right now we're distributing the app through three primary healthcare settings. Mm-hmm. Um, one is through home and community-based service organizations, things like AAAs or other uh, nonprofit support groups. Uh, and we're working with a select group of, of those providers as part of research studies. Uh, another channel is through home care companies. So okay. typically uh, private duty home care companies. And again, we're doing some, some research there and some pilot projects with uh, non-medical home care companies. And then we're also uh, moving forward with some projects to deploying the solution through long-term care facilities. Uh, and just to give the listeners a little bit of context, if you're interested in exploring the solution, please feel free to reach out. Like we said, okay. we got we have many ongoing pilots and projects that need people from all over the country to, to participate. But our long-term goal is to position the, the Generation Connect app as a tool that's freely accessible to family care partners and really to look at uh, productizing or commercializing this through partnerships with home care or with uh, healthcare organizations. So that's kind of where we're at right now, piloting it with healthcare organizations, mm-hmm. but uh, really long-term, we want to make this freely accessible to families as a tool to, to help uh, guide uh, non-drug treatment plans. Right, right. So how would they reach out to you? Just I'll, I'll repeat it at the end of the show too, but how would they reach out to you? Uh, through our website, there's a contact form. Okay. I think that's probably the best way. Support at wearegenerationconnect.com. Yeah, just I think that would probably be the easiest way is to reach out through our our website. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the kind of personalized approach I think is is really critical. Uh, But you guys have also mentioned me. It's it's also um, you know sometimes not so easy because of uh, you know constraints that are in there to protect patients, but uh, you know it's basically HIPAA regulations compliances. So uh, before we get to the break, why don't you just talk about that a little bit, you know, so what kind of challenges you have to deal with that? And, and, and Yeah. So I think this is, there's, there's always a trade-off between convenience and privacy. And I think for mm-hmm. good reason, there's a lot of um, privacy protection for people that are receiving healthcare services and how that data is shared. 
And one thing that we're trying to do is provide a channel so that the healthcare workers, you know, the, the formal caregivers that are helping with the, the bathing and the, the meals and all of the, the daily activities have access to the personal information and that data is still protected uh, and not able to be shared or analyzed or used in any other purposes except for uh, the enhancing of the healthcare services that they're receiving. So we basically had to build that channel because when we first got started in the field, there wasn't a tool to share photos and share comments uh, that was also privacy protected. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, it's always, you know, you want to protect the patients, but then <laughs> you also want to give access to information that's really going to be helpful to them. So, um, and so, and there are other challenges as well. So, uh, when we come back from the break, we're going to take another quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about um, some of the other challenges that you've encountered and how you're dealing with them. And then a little bit about the um, future possibilities, because I think this, as uh, you and I have talked before, um, both of you actually, uh, there's a there's a lot of potential. Uh, this is the starting point, but there's a lot of potential from this point on. So, folks, we'll be back after a short break with Michael and Robin. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Want to play the ponies and win? At Winning Ponies, we go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, and handicappers. The Winning Ponies radio show with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Catch us live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Win prizes just for calling in. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to 45 Forward. To reach Ron Roel or his guest on the program, please send an email to ron.roel at gmail.com. That's ron.roel at gmail.com. Now back to 45 Forward. Welcome back, folks, where we're talking today with Michael Pottinger and Robin Lombardo of Generation Connect. So in our last segment, uh, we've been talking a lot about uh, your technology and how we can use it, um, how it's, it's of use to caregivers, care recipients, care managers. Uh, but I just want to give folks a little sense of, you know, 
that uh, how much work it's taken on your part and, and some of the challenges you dealt with. Um, um, you know, for example, you know, you've mentioned that uh, one of the issues is that, um, you know, there's, there's, there's often a lack of, of coordination or lack of planning among the different, um, you know, constituencies in caregiving. They're sort of silos. So um, how have you, de- have you dealt with that in trying to coordinate the care? I'm sorry, you, Michael. Yeah. I think there's, um, with any new initiative mm-hmm. in a caregiving setting, I think there's really challenges to making it part of the the workflow, making it part of the day-to-day, because right. there's so much unpredictability in caregiving. And on top of that, there's a lot of tasks that need to be accomplished that are kind of non-negotiable, right? The the person receiving care needs to have their meals. They right. need to, to, to get dressed for the day, go to the doctor's appointments and take the medications. So there's this, ten, and this has been a real challenge for us. There's this tendency towards uh, what we call task-based care. Right. Where I've got my checklist and like I'm going in and I'm so focused on my checklist and it's just like, that, that is my, my primary aim. And, and there's a real culture of that in a lot of different care environments. And our uh, challenge has been helping frame uh, a solution like ours in a way that caregivers aren't looking at this as like, oh man, this is another thing for my checklist. But instead looking at it as, hey, if I'm able to form a relationship with Mrs. Smith, and she trusts me and she likes me and I know what her favorite song is. And I know that uh, she has the same birthday as her son. And every year they celebrate together with carrot cake. Like if I know these little nuances, it's going to make it easier for me to help her with bathing or to help get her to the doctor's appointments or to address some of these challenges as they come up. So it's going to make the task easier it's not another task. It's something that's going to modulate those tasks and make them easier in the end. So that's, that's a difficult dynamic to, uh, to overcome. Yeah. I know Robin, you've had a lot of, uh, you know, involvement with the patients. Uh, Any, any additional thoughts on that? Yeah. Well, it's a real dragon to slay Um, the culture of, Oh, I have another thing to do, but you know, what's beautiful about this is once they try it, it's sort of like, oh, I've never had that dish before, but I'm going to have that. And then, oh, wow, I really like that. That really helped right. me. I mean, we even saw that with music and memory, that they were able to enhance the ability um, to get the person up, dressed, showered, and at the breakfast table a third quicker, just using personalized music. And can imagine what it can do if you can use other things other than music, you know, in addition to music. So, um, it's not more, it's actually more efficient, that's how I see it. Right. It's right. um, and I, I think Michael did a great job of explaining that. But that is so crucial and so necessary because the give, caregiver has an awful lot on their plate. More than people really can imagine. Um, right. and you know they're really often underpaid and they're often underappreciated, and they work so hard. I've been blessed to have amazing teams my whole career, um, and so to be able to give them something like this that can help them and also a person with dementia, I think is such a, like I mentioned before, um, again, it's not about what it is. It's about how it works. 
And again, now Michael, we've said this before too. So it, we don't necessarily want them to use, you know, want to use the technology more. I mean, you can explain that, Michael. It's not about well, how long have they been on this, you know, device, right? It's not that. Yeah, I, and just to go, go back to your original question, Ron, about the challenges. I think it's more typical than not when, and, and this is specific to home care, but when a caregiver is going in to um, provide services to a person living with dementia, I would say more often than not, that caregiver knows very little about who the person is. They know when they need to be fed. They know when they need to have a shower. They know all of the, the clinical tasks that need to be accomplished. They have a plan for that, but they don't know who that person is and what they did for a career and, you know, the things that are really important to that person. They're going in without any knowledge. And then on the other end, the person that's receiving care, because they don't have short-term memory, oftentimes it feels like a stranger is in their home. So that can be very disconcerting. Uh, they don't remember their son or daughter saying that, you know, they're, they're going to get a home care company to help out with things around the house. So that's a real challenge when you have these people that uh, are going into a difficult situation and they don't have all of the, uh, the resources that they would need to, to, uh, to connect with the person and to, to be efficient in accomplishing tasks. Right. And sometimes, yeah. okay, Rob. Yeah, I'm sorry, Robin. I was just going to say that, uh, there, there are sometimes difficulties too if there's a transition to, uh, you know, an adult care uh, community, uh, where now all of a sudden the family members kind of, you know, there's a, a separation and a divide here, and uh, you know that that's another, you know, sort of non-digital divide they've got across, you know. Um, so how do you deal with that in terms? of How do you get? I guess that again takes a lot of coordination between the home care folks and then transition to the assisted living community folks. Yeah, we would, I mean, that's something, that's an area where we think we could really uh, add a lot of value in transitions and care. And when you think about it from the lens of the person living with dementia, if you've lived in the same home for 10, 15, 20 years or longer, think about how many of those intuitive autonomic cues are ingrained in your environment. You your brain knows that it's seven and a half steps from this part of the living room into the bathroom. Like there's all these weird uh, subconscious layers of comfort that are built into your environment. So when you are displaced from that comfortable, familiar environment and you're put in somewhere new, it throws off all those autonomic cues. And really what we're hoping to do is give teams a tool, whether they're doing things online or offline, to help maintain as many of those familiar, comfortable, safe cues in daily living as they can from one care environment to the next. Yeah, I also see it. That medical narrative is so essential. It's so missing and it's acutely essential when dealing with the person with dementia. You know, uh, the John Hopkins, uh, I was reading an article about, from John Hopkins that says the locus of power shifts when a person moves from their home into, you know, a community, a long-term care community. And so the caregiver needs to have some of that ability to help that shift of power. And um, I think this is a good uh, bridge in terms of, you know, platform to make that happen. Right, right. Um, and it seems to me, though, that in spite of these, you know, obstacles, there, there's just so much potential to 
to broaden this kind of, um, you know, connection with um, uh, other um, care recipients of other chronic diseases or other issues, um, not necessarily just dementia, but I mean, these sorts of issues are, these are emotional issues that I think that we kind of overlook. I think, as you pointed out, Michael, just that, you know, and I get it, you know, there is certainly you have, you know, front and center are the taking care of the activities of daily living, you know, so that's how people get paid for it. That's how people get assessed. Are you, are you covering these things? So, but um, what, what do you think? Now, I know also that, so you've done um, quite a bit of, and I like the fact that you're, you're just not only trying to create these devices, but you're doing research to find out about them. So talk a little bit more about, I know that there are a couple of other pilot studies you're working on and you've worked with assisted living facilities. So each of you, why don't you talk a little bit about, um, you know, some of the, the ongoing research you're doing, evidence-based yeah. research. I think the, um, for us, the most exciting research that um, we're doing, or one of the most excited, uh, exciting research projects that we're working on has to do with um, funding through the National Institute of Health to deploy this with home care companies and really looking at three specific types of outcomes. One is kind of back to what we've discussed from the beginning, can implementing these types of evidence-based routines reduce the frequency of what are called behavioral symptoms of dementia, things like agitation, Mm -hmm. anxiety, uh, depressive symptoms. The second outcome that we're looking at uh, would be, can you reduce the burden on the formal caregiver as a result of those symptoms? So if the person that you're caring for, if they're generally in a pretty good mood and upbeat, you're probably going to experience less burden than if the person is constantly anxious or aggressive. Um, so that's the second thing we're looking at is caregiver burden. And the third thing that we're looking at is caregiver job satisfaction, mm-hmm. uh, which may sound similar to burden, but it's a little bit different. Um, oftentimes, the formal caregiver, it's one of the fastest growing occupations in the country, if not the fastest growing occupation in the country. And there's a massive shortage and the demand for their services is increasing exponentially. So to help these people find more uh, joy in their role and more satisfaction in their role is really, really key. And we're uh, pursuing some funding with the National Institute of Health to do a, a two-year clinical research trial with about 150 to 200 families looking at those specific outcomes. Right, right. Yeah, and I, and I know you've, you've mentioned it before, but I think uh, worth mentioning before we, uh, we close, but just some of the possibilities in, uh, in the future about um, using these devices to get more information about um, the the those with dementia or other chronic uh, diseases about, you know, finding out and you, you looking at certain indicators, of, you know, as they change, you know, I guess you mentioned Biogen and Apple are partnering on this um, to, to look at things like changes in, in, you know, their voice or their gait as indications about, you know, where their disorder is headed, right? Yeah, I think that's one of the big challenges on the research front is evaluating the efficacy of a solution. Mm-hmm. Because Alzheimer's disease and related dementias are 
they're degenerative. So naturally, there's a, a regression of abilities and intensifying of certain symptoms over time. So how do you measure effectiveness of a given intervention? So we're really, at current day, kind of limited by assessments, getting caregivers to answer questions about certain symptoms at certain periods of time. But those types of assessments are uh, susceptible to, to human biases and misperceptions. Mm -hmm. And we think that there's an opportunity to look at some things that are more objective in nature, mm -hmm. physical biomarkers, uh, as indications of interventions being effective or not. So things like your heart rate or voice your, quality. Yeah, the, the, the inflection in your voice, your, your gait or the amount of movement you have day to day. Uh, some of these more objective, continuous uh, data sources could be used to show if a given, effect, a given solution is effective or not uh, at slowing or improving the rate of decline uh, with specific symptoms. Right, great. Well, unfortunately, folks, uh, we're going to have to leave it there, at least on an optimistic note about what's to come. But I wanted to thank you, too, for a very informative, um, interesting show. Um, so there's much more to talk about, and we'll hope to have you back to learn more about your progress in the future. Um, again, folks, if uh, tell your friends if they missed my conversation with Michael and Robin today, they can still listen to it as a podcast on voiceamerica.com. Uh, just search for my show, 45 Forward. You can find it on Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or go to my website, rowellresources.com. Uh, so, uh, folks, uh, be sure to join me next Monday, 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time. I'll be talking with Carol Wallman and Vicki Elmer, two women with long careers in senior services who will discuss the emotional roller coaster we often experience as we move into retirement. So, until then, folks, keep moving forward, 45 Forward. Thank you for tuning in to 45 Forward. Please join your host, Ron Rowell, for another great show next Monday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We wish you a great week.